welcome to the Justin Peters program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, studying to show ourselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth so that we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are doing well. I want to thank you once again for joining me. I want us to continue this week with our discussion of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, a uh, series that I've entitled Rest for the Weary. And I know we've been going rather slowly through a, a, a relatively short passage of Scripture, but there's there's a lot in here. There, there's a lot in here, even beginning with the, with the context in verses 20 through 25. We talked about how the sin of indifference to Christ is a more serious sin than actively opposing him, because at least when you're actively opposing Christ in the gospel, people know where you stand. But uh, the sin of indifference, when people claim to be Christians uh, and yet do not read and study and obey the scriptures, or people who could just kind of uh, care less about Jesus one way or the other. He would at least have us be sitting clearly on one side of the fence or the other. And, and when we don't, when we're kind of in this lukewarm state, if you will, it's it's very uh, offensive to Christ and does a, a great deal of uh, disservice to the gospel and uh, causes others to stumble. So it's a very serious sin, the sin of indifference. And then, then uh, so we set that for the context. And then we uh, progress, have been progressing through this text. And we've been talking about doctrines such as election, which is clearly in the, t- in the text. We've been talking about man's responsibility before God, which is also clearly in the text. And last week, we talked about the difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow over sin. And I mentioned last week that this is one of the key differences between a genuine Christian and a professing, um, uh, just a professing Christian or a false convert. Uh, this difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow we discussed is is simply having a guilty conscience, which everybody has. A worldly sorrow is a sorrow over sin but it is self-centered. It is focused on self rather than on God. It's a, a sorrow that uh, reflects a sentiment such as, what would happen to me if my sin were found out, if my sin were exposed? What would be the consequences to me? Uh, that is a worldly sorrow because it is centered on self-preservation. However, there is also a godly sorrow over sin, and that is uh, what we should have as Christians. This is a good sorrow. This godly sorrow is not horizontally oriented. It is vertically oriented. This godly sorrow in which we understand that our our sin is first and foremost against God, and we grieve over that because our sin has grieved him. This is a godly sorrow, and we talked about, just introduced, how this godly sorrow bears fruit. And the fruit that is born from a godly sorrow is that of repentance. 
And uh, so we just started introducing repentance last week, and I want us to continue this week. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about um, the rest, which is actually the title of this sermon series, uh, The Rest of God. So uh, picking up from where we were last week, this godly sorrow produces genuine repentance. And genuine repentance is a key element in biblical salvation. If there has been no repentance in a person's life, then there has been no salvation. Repentance literally means a change in one's mind. This is the Greek word metanoia, repentance, and it does mean literally a change in mind. And so repentance encompasses this change in mind, but it is much more than this. It's much more than just a a change in our minds. When most people think of repentance, they think of trying to change themselves, uh, willing themselves to turn away from certain sins, trying to better themselves, self-effort. And yet, this is the very thing from which Christ offers rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. So this is this self-effort. This is the very thing that Christ is, is offering rest from. Sorry, in a sentence with a preposition there. But uh, so how can this be? How can how uh, are we to turn away from sins? Are we to turn away from sins or are we to rest? And dear ones, those of you who have heard my testimony, you know that for the vast majority of my life, uh, this seemed to be a massive contradiction inherent within the gospel itself. I understood years ago, I understood that salvation is not of works. This made sense to me. Uh, I knew that we could not do anything to earn our salvation. There's no amount of good works that we could do. Uh, there's there, Our works are as filthy rags. I understood that. But I also knew that apart from repentance, there is no salvation. But repentance, I thought, and most professing Christians think, is a work. Is a work. Think about it. Repentance. We either stop doing what we have been doing but should not be doing, or we begin to do what we have not been doing but should have been doing. So it is a work. You either stop doing certain sins or you begin to do what you should have been doing all along but haven't been doing. And so to me, there seemed to be this massive contradiction. How can salvation not be of works, and yet, in order to be saved, we must repent? However, properly understood, there is no contradiction in the gospel at all. There is no contradiction because, dear ones, in and of ourselves, we cannot repent. We cannot repent. In and of ourselves, we cannot repent. There is nothing that we can do on our own. Uh, My friend and pastor Jim Osmond is preaching through the Gospel of John right now. And just this morning, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, but just this morning, uh, he preached um, um, a wonderful, wonderful message 
out of John chapter 15 about Jesus being the vine and uh, we are the branches and a, a true branch of Christ will bear fruit. Uh, a, a, a branch that does not bear fruit is cut off. And when you're cut off from the vine, you are um, you can bear no fruit. You can bear no fruit. There's nothing you can do. And if you would like to hear that message, by the way, uh, go to... Oh, goodness, I'm going to have to check this. I think it's kootenaichurch.org, K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I, church.org. I believe that's the website. Um, and listen to a sermon, uh, a fantastic sermon series on John 15. But um, one of the points he made is that um, when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, he meant exactly what he said. Apart from him, you and I can do Nothing. There is nothing that we can do apart from being grafted into the vine, because the vine, Christ, of course, is what or who gives us life. He gives us uh, the the ability to bear good fruit. And apart from the power of Christ, we cannot bear fruit on our own. We cannot do it. There is nothing that we can do for our, ourselves. And and uh, Jim pointed out uh, very rightly this morning that even faith and repentance is something that we cannot do. We cannot exercise faith on our own. We cannot repent on our own. There is nothing that we can do. These these must be granted by God. Uh, we are spiritually dead. A dead man. And cannot raise himself. A leopard cannot change its spots. And so the answer to this seeming contradiction that that salvation is not of works, and yet in order to be saved, we have to repent, which seems like a work from an Arminian point of view, by the way. It seems like a work. But the answer is that genuine repentance in and of itself is granted by God. God grants repentance. And you say, well, Justin, where is that in the Bible? Three places, at least three places that are they're very, very clear about this, or that God grants repentance. So if you have a pen, you might want to jot these down. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. God grants repentance to those in opposition to the gospel. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Acts chapter 5, verse 31, God grants repentance to Israel. In Acts 5, 31, God grants repentance to Israel. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 17, God grants repentance to the Gentiles. You and I, Gentiles, we're, we're Gentiles. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, God grants repentance to those, just generally speaking, those in opposition to the gospel, false teachers, Acts chapter 5, verse 31, God grants repentance to Israel, to the Jews. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 17, God grants repentance to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. And that pretty much covers everybody, does it not? So this is the answer. This is this is the, the uh, answer to the, what I erroneously believed was a, and it was an inherent contradiction within the gospel. Genuine, genuine, excuse me, genuine repentance is not a work. It is a gift. It is not something that we do 
It is something that God does in us. It is something that God does in us. We cannot repent on our own. It is something that must be done in us. And uh, let me also say that genuine repentance is not in and of itself the cessation of certain sins. And the reason I say that is because uh, anybody can um, have a shallow, superficial cessation of sin in and of itself. And I, you know, I hear all these people say, oh, well, they're addicted to alcohol or they're, uh, you know, addicted to to uh, drugs or they're addicted to uh, pornography. They're addicted to these things. I have a hard time with that. Now, okay, certain drugs with a chemical reaction and all that, I, okay, but, uh, but it, all right, here's what I'm saying. Let's take pornography, for example. All these people, that they're trying to, to uh, say that it's an addiction. Well, let me ask you this. If, if um, let's 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 take a hypothetical person. Let's call him Bob. No offense to any Bobs listening to me, but let's just say Bob. And uh, so Bob is addicted. He's a professing Christian, professing Christian, and he's addicted to pornography. Says he is. Uh, and but then we say, all right, Bob, we're going to put a monitor on your computer, and uh, if you stay away for from pornography for the next 30 days, uh, we will give you $10 million in cash. What do you think Bob's going to do? Bob's going to stay away from pornography for 30 days. Is he not? You better believe he will. Is he addicted to it? No, he's not addicted to it. He likes it. He likes it. So the cessation of certain sins in and of themselves is not necessarily genuine repentance. So, um, so let's, you know, for example, let's take Bob again. Let's take Bob and let's say, let's ascribe to him two, uh, two other easily identifiable sins. Let's say Bob, rather than being addicted to pornography, let's say he is uh, an alcoholic and he's a pathological liar. Okay, so we put Bob in an airplane and uh, or a helicopter. Let's say let's fly. Let's put Bob in a helicopter and let's fly him out a hundred miles out into the Atlantic Ocean somewhere, and we'll drop him off on some little deserted island somewhere, and we'll give him a tent, and we'll give him you know for shelter, we'll give him some bread and some water and whatnot, and. Uh, some moon pies or whatever. So we give him some, give him some rations, and we leave him on that deserted island and and fly away. Guess what? Bob stops sinning. He stops drinking alcohol because he's got no booze, and he stops lying to people. Why? Because he has nobody to talk to. And of course, he stops looking at pornography because he's got none of that there either. So he, he's, he stops his pornography, he stops his lying, and he stops his drinking. It doesn't mean he's repented. Why? Because his heart has not been changed. His heart has not been changed. His affections are still with those sins. He still loves his sin. And this, dear friends, is the difference between a, a genuine Christian and a false convert. 
a false convert may offer some superficial, shallow, uh, turning away, even cessation from certain sins. However, his heart is still drawn to those sins. He still loves those sins. His heart has not been changed. Why? Because he cannot change his heart. No matter how hard he tries, he cannot change his heart. A leopard cannot change its spots. And so given the opportunity, given the access to it, provided that there are no overt direct consequences that that he would see on on a physical level anyway, guess what he's going to do? He's going to go right back to those sins. A genuine Christian will not. Now, am I saying that a genuine Christian does not fall into sin? I'm not saying that. Am I saying that a genuine Christian uh, cannot stumble into sin? I'm not saying that. A genuine Christian can and does, and we do, stumble into sin. Yes, we have a new nature. We have a heart of flesh rather than our old heart of stone, but we still live in a fallen world, and we still live in a fallen body, and um, uh, we are still shackled to our old body, and uh, so we're still encumbered by this fallen human flesh. However, however, we do not, while we may stumble into sin, a Christian does not swim in it. A Christian does not love his sin. When a Christian sins, not if, but when a Christian sins, that man or that woman will grieve over that sin. It will grieve him, that godly sorrow of which Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So that is, that is the difference. That is the difference. Um, do you have a godly sorrow over your sin? Does your sin grieve you? If, you? if you look for opportunities to sin, if you plan on ways that you can sin and get, rid, and get away with it, then that's not a godly sorrow. You know that that's a worldly sorrow. So uh, so examine yourself and cry out to, for God uh, to give you to God for Him to give you genuine repentance. However, if when you do stumble into sin, it grieves you, you feel godly sorrow over it. Uh, you you uh, you want to turn from sin and you you go to the Lord and and ask Him to help you to turn from that sin. That's that's good. That's a sign of conversion. That's that's a sign that you're a new creature in Christ. If you if you do have that godly sorrow, if you love the things of the Lord, if you love Him, if you love His Word, if you do have a desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Christ, these this is this is the fruit of genuine repentance. This is the fruit of genuine repentance. We cannot repent on our own. God must do it in us. Now uh, word of caution, repentance is not something we can do. It is not a work, but like I said, it does produce works. It does bear genuine fruit. John the Baptist preached, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The Apostle Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he said, So, King Agrippa, I kept declaring that all men should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to Repentance. We do not perform deeds in order to repent, but when God grants repentance, there will be deeds. There will be works 
there will be fruit in keeping with that repentance. And, and genuine repentance will be evident to others around us. It will be evident to others around us. When God granted genuine repentance to Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, we little man, we little man was he, <laughs> know that song from childhood. When God granted repentance to Zacchaeus, what did Zacchaeus do? He went around to all of those people that he had defrauded monetarily, and he made it right, and he gave them back twofold. I believe it was twofold, wasn't it? Twofold. And so what? That's genuine repentance that was evident to everybody around him. They could see it. So genuine repentance does bear good fruit. If we are a true branch connected to the one vine, uh, we will bear fruit. Every Christian bears fruit. Um, even if it's just a raisin, as I've heard somebody said, if you're a Christian, you will bear some fruit. You will bear fruit. Okay. Moving along, Jesus says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. In Scripture, the rest of God is synonymous with his salvation. Christ will grant rest to those who are weary of their self-efforts and are weary of their sin. To those who come to him in repentance and faith, he promises a clear conscience. He promises eternal life with him. The writer of Hebrews says, this. He says, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. When God grants his salvation, his rest, we can cease from our works. We can cease from our self-efforts. We can cease from our um, attempts at uh, uh, self-improvement or willing ourselves to try to Turn away from certain sins. No, we can rest because God does the work in us. We are to abide in Christ. We are to remain. That word abide is minnow in the Greek. means to remain. We remain in Christ. Christ offers his rest. He does the work in us. He does the work in us, and he empowers us to bear fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Verse 29, Jesus continues. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was a large piece of handcrafted wood that fit around the neck of animals for plowing or some other type of heavy work. And so it's not hard to see that the yoke was a widely used metaphor for submission. Students were often spoken of as being under the yoke the yokes of their teachers. Jesus invites sinners to stop from their labors, to enter his rest, and to take upon themselves the yoke, the lordship of Christ. The yoke, the lordship of Christ. You know, there's been much debate over the years about something known as lordship salvation. Some would like to believe that a person can accept Christ as Savior, but not as his Lord. Uh, this, this, dear friends, is error. This is error. The Bible knows of no other salvation except that of lordship salvation. 
I'll say that again. The Bible knows of no other salvation other than that of lordship salvation. Jesus called people to deny themselves. He called people to take up their cross. And this was a call to die to self and if called upon to do so, even to lay down one's life for the gospel. A genuine Christian may stray from the Lord for a season, but not indefinitely. Not indefinitely. Dear ones, if you belong to Christ and stray from Him, which can and does happen, but if you do that, if you if you stray from Christ, He will discipline you as as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, read Hebrews chapter 12, Christ will discipline you. Those, when we stray from Christ, He will discipline us as a, as any loving parent will discipline His child. Any, any loving father, any loving mother will discipline an errant child because they love them. And because Christ loves us, when we stray from Him, He will discipline us. He will bring you back. And so, you know, all these people that say that they know Jesus as Savior, they accepted Jesus in their heart, they asked Jesus in their heart when they were, you know, a child or a teenager, and but then um, in the years after that, there's no evidence of conversion in their life. There's no holiness of life. There's no progressive sanctification. There's no growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Uh, there's no godly sorrow over sin. There's no affection for the things of the Lord. There's no uh, affection for the brethren. Uh, they were never saved in the first place because had they been, Christ would have disciplined them. Christ would discipline that person. So for those whom he loves, those who are his, Christ will discipline us. So, dear ones, be not deceived. The person who does not know Jesus as Lord does not know him as Savior either. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this uh, statement used to confuse me a bit because, you know, I'd hear that um, that the Christian life is not an easy one. And you know what? It's not an easy one. The Christian life is not an easy one. So why does Jesus say my yoke is easy and my burden is light? This is not to be understood that the Christian life is easy. Jesus does not promise a life of ease. Far from it, actually. Jesus promised tribulation. Jesus promised persecution. And what does Scripture say? Does the Bible say that some of those who live godly in Christ Jesus may be persecuted? Is that what it says? No. The Bible says that all of those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe, will be persecuted. How then is his yoke an easy one? And how is his burden light? I mean, you can look around the world, and, and uh, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ right now, it's not easy to be a Christian. They're being persecuted for their faith. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in Iraq, in Syria, you know, in in, um, in Turkey, in any number of Middle Eastern countries, uh, any number of African countries, um, Libya, uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, uh, Nigeria, you know, Christians are being horribly persecuted. North Korea, horrible, horrible persecution. 
So it's not an easy, when Jesus says my yoke is easy, he was not promising a life of ease. Not at all. But what he meant is this. What he meant is this. When one has been granted repentance, genuine repentance, and when one has put his faith in the risen Lord Christ, and when Christ's rest has come, then it is not a burden to serve him. It's not a burden to serve him. A life of service to Christ, while not always easy, and it is often marked by trials and persecution, nonetheless, it is a life that is lived out out of gratitude for his incomprehensible sacrifice and his indescribable love. The Apostle John writes this. He says, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. So, if you wonder, I've already mentioned this in this series before, but if you wonder about how much you love Christ, well, how much do you love Christ? Well, ask yourself, look at your life, and ask yourself, how much do I obey him? Do I have his commandments and keep them? Do I obey them? That's a pretty good measuring stick of how much we love him. It's how much we obey him. Love, biblical love, is far more than just emotions. Does it encompass our emotions? Certainly. But it's far more than that. Uh, it's, it's marked by a life of obedience. And John says this, this, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. It should not be a chore to serve Jesus. We should not get up in the morning and think, oh, I've got to serve Jesus today. You know, it's it's a it's a burden to do this. It's a you know it's a burden to keep up this facade. Well, if you're not truly converted, it it may be a burden. But for those who are genuinely converted, we should have a desire to serve God because we understand, at least as much as we can understand, living in a fallen world. We understand how much He has given for us, how much He has sacrificed for us. We have some understanding of the of His indescribable love, of the magnitude of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And because we we have at least some understanding of this, as again as much as we can have on this side of a fallen, this side of uh, this side of the of eternity, in a living in a fallen world, because we understand that we should desire. To serve Christ, and it should not be a chore. It should not be burdensome to live a life of godly obedience for the glory of God. So, in that sense, yes, Jesus' yoke is easy, and his burden is light. It, it, not to say that it's always easy to be a Christian, but we should deep down, you know, when the when push comes to shove and we get real honest, uh, it should not be a burden to serve our Savior because we have some understanding of what He did for us. And we serve Him because we love Him. We serve Him because we love Him. Okay, dear ones, I hope that this series, uh, this little walk through Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30 has been helpful for you. Would love to hear from you. Uh, send me an email if you have any questions about what we've been discussing. 
And I uh, want to let you know, all right, Lord willing, next week I am going to talk about uh, my trip to Brazil, give you a little bit of an update on that, talk about Brazil and some of what went on there. And then the week after that, uh, Lord willing, we will begin our series, Into Spiritual Warfare. And I'm looking forward to this. I've already recorded the program, so just have to do a little editing here and there. But um, the, the programs are in the can, so to speak, ready to go. And I, I really think you'll you'll be you'll greatly benefit from this series. So um, get your notepad and your pen or your laptop or your iPad or whatever it is you'd like to take notes on. And uh, we're going to go really in depth with Jim Osmond and the spiritual warfare. Again, he has written a book on the topic. The title of the book is Truth or Territory. Truth or Territory. In fact, that is the website, truthorterritory.com. TruthOrTerritory.com. The book is out and available now. It's available on Kindle. So uh, avail yourself to that resource and look forward to this series with you. Um, I think it's a great uh, series of programs, so look forward to that. Thank you, dear ones. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters Program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org.